So, guys, uh, as I've been prepping for this week's episode and everything else, I have been really, really curious because I have a favorite D and D item. Do you guys? What what what's your favorite D and D D and D item? You I got a few that I really like actually. Um, Let's roll initiative. Okay. Oh, where's Stephanie? <laughs> you can have no. your pink deck. I got a twelve with I Stephanie. A, I got a thirteen. I got, Dang, a wheat. got thirteen. Adam got a wheat. Wheat. Um, so my favorite character, my favorite item I've ever had is tetanus. It's a great sword. Um, I freaking love tetanus. I put it in every single game I've ever done. Great, like it was really good, or it was a great sword. Both. So it's a great, great sword. It's a great, great sword. Yeah. Um, it originally came from the uh, Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil module from three point five. Um, there is a room that has a large drop in it, and at the bottom of this drop is a, uh, corrupted area, and there's a great sword there by lore. It's just a rusted sword, but I was like, yeah, this thing's magical, so it's a rusted sword, um, that is decrepit looking, really, really damaged and ugly, um, but it is a plus two great sword, or whatever I decide for the time. It's an intelligent weapon. All it wants to do is decay everything. Um, its its whole goal is to decay, destroy, and uh, consume. And it's an evil intelligent item. Um, typically has this like slimy voice that it talks to its player about, and will try to manipulate the character to decay. And it, when it does damage, it does additional acid damage. It is uh, immune to being destroyed by, say, like a rust monster or whatnot. Um, and it's uh, any organic flesh it, it kills is instantly like decayed to the point of nothingness. Um, it, like disintegration? It, disintegration. Like, like no resurrection available? No resurrection available. Holy man. <laughs> Terry, you are uh, next. For me? Uh, well, I was going to say, I have a few. One of my favorite ones. Uh, this isn't my answer, but you remind me of it was my sun sword, Keith, that I did have a very good The, the sun sword from uh, Chris Estrada. Right? That's right. I just really enjoyed that. Like, it's like I have a light name. It was like I was in bloody Return of the Jedi or something. That's what I felt like. But no, my real favorite one was my Stone Hawk Satine. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I know, but that's why I looked at you and said, yeah. I love Satine. I was so proud of her. And, and the reason being was. She was named after Kate Beckinsale from the Underworld movies? No. Uh, no, Moulin Rouge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because because what was what did you have to say? To, what was the trigger word? And for her the... name was Celine. Please stop getting oh, things sorry. wrong. <laughs> um, Whatever, Jedi. Um, spectacular, spectacular was yeah. the trigger oh, word okay. to, yeah, to start Satine off. And, uh, and I loved her because she gave my character like an ability that nobody else had to think, a go-to thing. <laughs> Send her off into the sky and she could see what was around or I could walk into her and it was like uh, my, give me like a I felt like I had a real purpose in the party. Yeah, and, eyes. It's basically and, just a familiar. No, no, no. It was a stone statue that had to be activated and would turn for one minute. Would turn into a hawk, uh, and would would take off. But your your family crest, like your, the last name was Hawkridge, right? Hawkridge, yeah. So it was right on really point. Big for, old Spice fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I I loved Satine and. Um, I am amazed that she lasted that campaign. I ended up with three hawks. I ended up with Satine and then two real hawks, real imaginary hawks, um, yeah. Elithia and Gannicus. Yeah, they were phenomenal. Cool. Uh, to annoy my my friends in my Friday night group, my my knight character has a horse named Galahad because he is a um, stalwart companion, um, and his owl named Percival. 
You're also annoying me now. Yeah. So, uh, my favorite item that I ever got was a flask of alchemist fire. Oh, damn. Yep. Because I kicked it down a hole. Oh, yeah, this. Onto the bad guy. Onto the, like, the big bad evil wizard that we'd been hunting and for sessions. And he couldn't put himself out. And he couldn't put himself out. And he died. And I did not even <laughs> roll an attack. It was just, it landed on him. And he burst and, into flames. And did you have to do a roll for it to land on him? Or is it just... I did a ran. Uh, I was DMing this. I did a random roll on it and it landed directly on him. And then I proceeded to fail every single roll for, I think it was four rounds of him trying to put himself out. Yeah, and Dan was like the look on Dan's face was like, "What the what yeah. the shit?" Oh, I've been there. I was there with Strahd, where they die, and you're like, "How the hell did that happen?" Yeah, yeah. But I've never received a magic item or magic armor. I've I've never received a magic item. I like no weapon, nothing. I've never received anything. When magical. they're so good, you get such an emotional attachment to them. It's it's hard to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say bye. I make them. I send them out. Mm-hmm. I, they're ones that I absolutely loved making. But I Adam giveth and Adam taketh away as well. Well, and sometimes you guys don't even use them, like the big ass throne made of ivory that was a, couldn't even get it out the room. Yeah, there's that. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it was made out of a giant freaking tusk of some long forgotten beast, and it was advantage on all mental stats and disadvantage on all physical stats while you were touching the throne or while you were sitting in the throne, but. You had a huge ego, and you were not able, and you didn't remember or know that this is what was happening. So you could sit there and be hyper-intelligent, super-wise, and incredibly charismatic, totally full of yourself, but if someone tried to shoot you, you you would take that damage. Yeah. Like, we couldn't get it out of the room. It was just in this vault. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. So, anyway. That's, cool. That's me. What are we doing this week? Uh, we're talking about items and loot and rewarding your players. Huzzah! Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Dan and with me are Adam and Terry and today we're talking about loot specifically the rewards for your party. Now, we wanted to cover this. This is in the world building thing because when you are building your uh, worlds, your campaigns and everything else, rewarding your players has to be a strong focus for your mind as you're building. Um, And it comes more than just in gold coins. You can reward your players in many different ways. Um, And it's... And for many different reasons, I think. There's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of ground for you to cover here as you reward your players for hitting story beats for, uh, you know, obtaining that MacGuffin or saving that prince or princess. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can reward and for a lot of different reasons. So as we're moving on today in our world building focused episode today, guys, I really want to know, um, right off the bat, what is your favorite, more traditional way of rewarding your players for story beats and uh, legit, like, finishing quests. Yeah. So, let's grab let's the go. dice. Let's go. Let's, let's go. go. Come on, step 14. Oh, yes, I'm going first. I'm going last. Um, a f- traditional way? Not yeah, taking outside the box, way. very much in the box? Yeah, so we're talking, like, uh, gold magic items. items. Can't go wrong magic mm, items. Yeah. It's... I, I love the idea of, uh, you know, the, the MacGuffin being a magic item that you can use or, or even, you know, being rewarded with one. I, that's what I quest for. Do, do you give them that magic item, like a, a super powerful magic item, really low levels? Well, 
something that I want to talk about later on, so I won't explain it too much. I mentioned it before, actually, is magic items where their abilities could be furthered and unlocked as you go through. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be, this is what it does. I think it's, this is what it does today. But we'll see where it no, goes. No, I'm, I'm really on board with that. Like, uh, we mentioned, uh, like, tetanus. Yeah. When you pick up that sword, it's just a masterwork great sword, yeah. right? Does it, but you're oddly bound to it. But, I wouldn't say it's cursed, but you're oddly bound to it. I love, I mean, I love like your items, your plus one, plus two, like swords and stuff like that. They're always fun. Like, I love those. But I like the items that are thinking outside the box a little bit and what they can do. And you really have to think about how am I going to use this no. and when is the right time. Yeah, I, I, I know in our campaigns, Adam, we've had uh, some really unique magic items that aren't offering straight mechanical boons right they're not yes i know i know what you're talking about i cannot think of an example can you give me one uh you gave uh you gave uh my uh dragonborn character a chair yeah the stool that i could change into like a miniature version with a command word or a bigger version with a command word and that's all it did. Yeah. Yeah, it just turned into a tiny little, like the size of a D20. Yeah. You put it in your pocket, and then you pull it out, say the command word, and now you can sit on it. Yeah, and I, I was playing an elderly character who needed to sit down for long discussions. So that made a lot and of sense. And it came you up gave, a lot. You yeah. gave me a, a card that all it did was just light and extinguish candles. That's all it was. But it, it just it didn't take up a whole lot of room. Put it in my pocket and say if we ever went into like a, a room, a castle or something where everything is done... <laughs> You could put all the candles on. If you didn't like what you see, you could turn them straight back off again. But <laughs> very much, yeah, like uh, Albus Dumbledore type. What he does. Cool. Well, yeah. I, you know what? Magic items aren't magical anymore, right? They're just what is the stat They're boon just stat. that I get, They're just right? Stats. And that's I miss that. I'm that is one of my big complaints about D and D. But I mean, and I don't think it's Dungeons and Dragons' fault. I think that we are just spoiled by special effects. Uh-huh. When we watch Harry Potter or. Um, or Lord of the Rings, or Star Wars, or whatnot. The first time that a lightsaber appeared on screen, an entire generation had their imaginations illuminated. Yeah. Now it's how many blades does this one have? <laughs> and like we don't we shit. don't give a fuck anymore. We have too much that that nothing is spectacular. There is nothing that is fantastical, and so we get bored by things that would blow the minds of people thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Fantastic beasts and where to find them should not be a low point in the Harry Potter universe. It was incredible. It, yeah. it, it, that would blow people's fucking minds. Yep. Right? And so we go back, like, they're, the younger generation can't stand the original Clash of the Titans because it's stop motion, and that's criminal to me. We're going to get to a point where the Nightmare Before Christmas is mundane. That bothers me. Mm-hmm. It just bothers me that Fantasia is no longer a pinnacle of people's freaking cinema experiences, right? Yeah. So, I mean... I want I want the fantastic back, and therefore I try to make things more fantastical that are not just like oh that's neat. It does how much fire damage, mm-hmm. right? It, it negates this much acid damage. Like ugh, yeah. I'm, I'm bored with that. Right? What about other forms of loot? Because I know you are, um, and we're kind of shifting over to here you here, but like you, you're not you're known to not really give a shit about gold. I just super don't give a fuck about gold. Gold is boring. Gold is just boring you guys are the adventurers you are out there looting the dungeons are you ever going to turn around and take your plus four freaking great axe and give it to a merchant to sell for five thousand gold pieces Mm -hmm. no you're not so why would the other adventuring party do it they're not doing it either so what what are the merchants selling nothing they are selling mundane items potions and herbs that's what they get you want fantastic items go rob a bank 
right, and loot the vaults in there. Go loot a, a mansion or a yeah. palace or or a wizard's tower, or go out and find it in a dungeon, or take it off of somebody else who coveted that, yeah. right? So. So then what purpose does gold have? Because by the time that you have a hundred of it, you're buying everything but a spyglass and a carriage, right? I think we need to lean into the other side of it and have certain items that are only available in certain places. So gold becomes valuable for that reason. Well, and that's that's kind of how I look at it as well. Because you guys will hold on to 30,000 gold until it's time for that big expenditure that's coming up. Yeah. Right? And you know that you have to do this. blah, And so like... Making you guys shop for more rope doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You guys are adventurers. It is entirely conceivable that when you go into town and you say, oh, "I'm going to the tavern and have a couple of drinks," I'm going to sit down and do my bard stuff, and then I'm then I'm going to bed with three or four bartenders because you're doing bard stuff. Because you're doing bard stuff. Yeah. Part of that bard stuff is just going and buying more rope to replace the one that you left hanging off the cliff ten miles away, right? Or off the edge of the bed. Well, that too. Dan, because you're doing bard stuff. Damn. One per episode. Yeah. <laughs> I can teach you how to do that. So I was a Boy Scout, my dude. I should have put that in my hobbies. You oh, for, for, for the mailbag episode, which hasn't come out by the time you listen to this. <laughs> okay. So um, we'll add that in. So anyway, also how to make a sexy character. Yeah. yeah we answered that. In the, yeah. Good at knots. Yep. So anyway, the uh, oh Dan Dan made a sex joke. He's sitting there giggling to himself now. Nobody can hear it, but I just imagine a bond a rope bondage scene where he's dressed up as a Boy Scout. I, are, I Why are you, you putting that mental image in your brain for your own sake? Uh, also, he's putting it in your brain for his own yeah, sake. Yeah. Anyway, no. The, the point is that I don't see the point in gold whatsoever at this point. If you have made your first hundred gold pieces, then you don't need any more. The one contention I would say is, yes, I agree with you. And, and, and I'm talking tier two and beyond. Yeah. Tier one, I track, right? Yeah-ish. Um, you've, my, never, you've never been in a tier one campaign with me. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no, like, for my my opinion, yeah-ish. Uh, I really like the way how you do gold in, in the later tiers, and, and I've, I've had to, exp- I've gotten to experience that finally. But the, um, the one contention I would have is if you're out in the middle of nowhere in the dungeon and you don't have that item that you purchased in town, dr- like, written down, you don't have it. No, you know what? Right? I don't agree with that because I think that... There comes a point where it's nitpicky. At some point, we're not going to play with encumbrance anymore. At some point, we all decided that we're not playing with experience. And I'm talking my our own campaign, yeah. right? But I know a lot of tables play this way. And at some point, are you really going to start counting torches at level 8? Did you know that torches only last 20 minutes? And that there's actually techniques from previous editions on how to track how long torches exist. And you need to have a certain amount of them. And that's why their weight and size matters. And that's why bag of holdings exist. Hmm. Bags of holding. That's Bag of holdings? Bags of holding exist. There we go. Yep, do you know what? I'm going to say one, my, uh, one item I do not like is the bag of holding. I do not like bag of holding. And next campaign I run, bag of holding will not exist. Because because of the bag of holding, everything else becomes unimportant. It does not matter how many magic great axes you've got. It does not matter how much gold you have because it goes in the bag of holding. If there's no bag of holding... Your pockets can carry 100 gold pieces. You can fit another 300 gold pieces in your backpack. This is what I'm talking about, where we have so much fantastic shit all of the time that everything now is mundane. Yeah. Right? And so what I do with the bag of holding is I say, absolutely, here are the dimensions inside of it. And I agree with that. And yeah. and there are very specific dimensions on how much a bag of holding can hold. So when you go to put your 10-foot pole inside of it, I go, wait. It's yeah, no. four feet by four right. feet. Hey, the mouth of the bag of holding is like this diameter. Yeah. 
Therefore, you cannot put a carriage in it. I'm sorry. You probably can't put the head of a great axe in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how it is. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, these are the limits, which is why I have belt pouch of holding for spell components. I've got bag of holding. holding. I got backpack of holding, which will hold a closet size worth of stuff, right? So it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And remember, it's like two cubic feet, right? In a bag of holding. Now, remember people, that is not two, two feet per side. Do the math. You, you're, extrapolating that it's like 0.8 or whatever I, I'm not doing the math off the top of my head but like when, when you have uh, four square feet of something yeah right that's two feet on a side that's not four feet in every in both the dimensions and it's the same thing even more so when you go cubic so they're very tiny yeah. they hold a very small amount of things yeah you cannot put the idea of oh can we put a barrel of no well can we pour a barrel of Still no. Yeah. Right? And can I, I also don't believe in putting a, a living creature inside a bag of holding. I know there are rules for it, but I've created a cage of holding mm. so that you can essentially do the exact same thing and not have organic creatures blowing up inside your own thing when they die. Yeah. Right? So. Which has happened yeah. in our campaign. Um, the other thing I like, and, and this is a lot of groups that have been formed since before in previous editions have these... Ideas that you're just supposed to be these walking militias, walking monstrosities, just laden with magic items. Yeah, you're an armory on legs. Yeah. Um, and as much as I hate the attunement system, and I've mentioned that in previous uh, episodes as well, um, I like how what they are trying to imply with the attunement system is that magic items in D&D 5th edition are intended to be hard to come by and rare. Right out the gate. They're not supposed to be something that any, you know, Joe Schmo adventurer can even get. Um, you're not supposed to be able to get a lot of them. That's one of the reasons why, um, you know, they have that limited attunement. That's that's one of the reasons why they have, you know, high levels of price for some things. Because uh, based off their crafting system and their, um, uh, you know, profession system that they have... You're not making an ass ton of money. You can't afford an uncommon magic item that you find in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Typically, you have to be, you have to discover it. You have to find it. You, you quest for it. You quest for I, it. I just had a thought. Sorry, I'm going to derail you. You're absolutely right on, on all of those points. You just sparked my brain with something right now. Um, and that is with the alignment. Now you have a sanity stat. You're, just, you're sitting there and you're talking about how you can only have three things and, and it's very difficult. The The attunement to me feels like this is all that your body, your your sense, your soul, your sense of self, it's taxing to use these items. Mm-hmm. Yep. Therefore, if you have too many, it hurts you. So, you know what? Everybody gets a sanity stat, and that sanity stat is, I don't know, whatever your con is. All right? And that's just, I'm picking at random. Wisdom, whatever it is. And you know that going in. Or you can just straight roll it or whatever. So, you have a sanity stat, and it is static, and it doesn't move, and you never roll on it. But it's going to be probably low teens uh, on average. Every time you use a, an item that requires attunement, and you can use any item that requires attunement, but you are already uh, you already have your three slots filled, so you want to use the fourth item, just this one off. I need to get this right. I have to do this. Yeah. This one time, you remove one sanity. Ticker all the way down, and by the end of it, when you lose your when you use your last sanity point. You go mad, and this is the same as wizards staring into the void too long. 
And therefore, you have a certain number. You can have as many attunement-necessary items as you want, Dan. Have them all. But you're only going to have 15 uses beyond the three. It still means your three slots matter. It opens us up to use all sorts of crazy awesome items. Yeah. And it's going, and you're going to use half of the slots by level eight mm-hmm. and then hoard the last ones till level 19. I love right? the idea of the, the temptation as well, um, where the item may get better. Yeah. As, it, as it's kind of unlocking and you're becoming weaker, it's going to become more powerful. So you're getting close to the end of that sanity right there. Maybe even the And last... that's why some items are intelligent, is because they suck to the consciousness out of exactly. that. Per- I wouldn't I'm, even lo- say, I'm, I'm loving this. I wouldn't even say get to zero and you go mad. I'd say by the time you get to five, you got to start rolling those saves because it's happening now. You're starting to crack a little bit. Um I love it. But the item's getting more and more powerful because there's those players, me, that's going to continue to try and use it and try yeah. to, to, to uh, play with the traffic, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, so I love everything we're saying about magic items, but how, when you start getting these weird sanity things involved and these other weird magic items involved, how do you, like, do you drop these on low-level characters? Do you drop these on higher-level characters? Like, how do you, how are you rewarding your players with these high level of magic items that are supposed to be super rare, mm-hmm. right? Like, how are you supposed to be managing that? Are we, uh, should we go initiative for this or? Uh, well, it, it's, it's, it's furthering the question. So, I mean, we were technically on Adam's yeah. thing there, but. Um, do I drop, uh, look, I'll drop uh, magic items on people early because if you get a magic item early, the first two or three that you get will define your character, Right. By the tenth one that you get, you're just looking for the stat bonuses at that point. Yeah, you're not actually looking for the. When you get a flying carpet at at second right. level, it's going to determine your style of play. Yeah, that's that's it. And even if you lose it, that character was still the guy with the flying carpet. If you don't get it to level eighteen, whatever, it's just a mode of transportation. Yeah. Right. Oh, my my movement speed went up. Right. Like, and that's that's it. Right. So, um, I will definitely drop items early. But I do also don't like the idea. Okay, so you're talking about mundane rewards as a general rule. Yeah, right? like how uh, how, do, how do you make mundane rewards interesting? Yeah, stop handing out gold. Start handing out bounties. This is my answer. So look, you are coming into this kingdom, and when you walk in, you're at the tavern. You go to the notice board, and it says two copper pieces for every goblin scalp. Mm. Why are we not rolling medicine checks to carve up our kills? There are so many monstrosities. How many times does a wizard reach into his bag and pull out Eye of Newt, right? And now think Eye of Froghemoth. What's that worth? Yeah. Right? This is where you should be looking at your currency. And it's it requires a lot on the DM's side of things to say, look, we need to... Um, we, we need to have a, not really a table, but an idea of what each creature has. But, man, wolf pelts should be worth something. Dire wolf, dire wolf pelts should be worth more. Winter wolf pelts should be worth even more beyond that. Werewolf pelts should be worth more beyond that, because they'll have to be skinned while they're alive. Right? There's, the, well... How the hell do you skin a werewolf? Well, it's alive, you chain it down. That's your silver start. chain. Mm. Uh, no, you don't even need the silver because, I mean, if you were to cut off a finger, it'll regrow the finger, but the cut-off finger's still lying in the corner over there. So you can skin a werewolf and then wait 30 days and the full moon comes out and a wolf's out again and you skin him again. Oh, my goodness. That is malicious that as hell. That's like Cruella de Vil. <laughs> can yeah, right? you have, like, Dalmatian werewolves? Yeah. 
but <laughs> Ask, asking for a certain Cruella friend. <laughs> um, sure, I mean, yeah. But no, I like this is the kind of thinking outside the box. But you look at like what does a frog hemoth have? It has the three eyes on the eye stalk, right? And it has a super long tongue. How much is that tongue worth? It's got to be worth more than a goblin tongue, right? So there's got to be the ones that you kill the same way that, you know, there's open season on things like coyotes when they're an invasive species. So there's goblins, orcs, your, your mobs. Yep. You just kill them and you... They're invasive species. Yeah, if you, you can bring back a scalp or thumbs or... or ears. Goblin ears right, are a yeah. thing, yeah. My, my, um, I, I do have one small contention with this, though. Um, if, if you are bringing back, you know, hordes of uh, ears and whatnot, and, and you're skinning and you're going through all the process of harvesting materials from... Your ranger suddenly becomes more important. Your ranger that. gets more important, but now you're bringing in weird aspects of alchemy into the game. That's um, not, that's not a problem though, right? But you're you're bringing you're right. You're bringing in alchemy. You're you're bringing in more spell components and whatnot as well. Yeah. Right. I I think it makes absolute sense that you'd be able to use a, a Fermorian's evil eye to scry on someone or to give someone a curse. Right. Why not cut the stalks off of a beholder and then petrify it? Like, dry it out, petrify it, and have a wand that does that effect. Yeah, what about if you start taking the bat guano as your spell component from a giant bat instead yeah. of a regular bat? Or from a vampire that is a bat. Right? Yeah. This gets this gets into new and interesting... Dan's like, vampire shit? I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining you walking up to Strahd and being like, all right, here's the newspaper. I'll be back in a Imagine minute. Imagine Strahd. <laughs> you're trying to kill him, one person's just trying to hold the bat. The other one's got the sack. Get into the sack. Get into the sack. No, I'm thinking like a full-grown Strahd, like laying down the newspaper on the ground like he's a good little boy. I, I like the idea of Strahd going to the bathroom with a newspaper like he's going to read it, but he's just like putting it down. <laughs> Just Here is your spell components. Just being in the jail as well, the way he's being captured. Yeah. This, you know this is humiliating, right? Yeah. Do you have to take it while I'm in human form? <laughs> but it still counts. By the pound. No, so... <laughs> but, but Why does the wizard always stink? But we should start thinking about the opportunities within the kills themselves. Instead of saying the knoll had six gold on them, which is useless... You could, like honestly, why would a knoll be carrying gold, even copper? Why would they have this? Yeah. It makes sense for bullywugs because they covet shiny and expensive things. Mm -hmm. But even kobolds, they probably have a hoard because dragons have hordes. But why are they carrying that shit on them? Yeah. But if you can get a kobold's, I don't know, trap making kit. If you can get a kobold's, um, what scorpion on a stick? Yeah, uh, tails. Yeah. Right, kobold tails. They've got to be worth a bounty. Right, and we, and we should be able to do fun and interesting stuff for spell components, for alchemy, and even if you don't have an alchemist in the party, you take it to the alchemist, who then says, you know what, what I need is three more of these, and I can make you a health potion that does this. Yeah, that's a that's a side quest that you're they right can right. do, right? And, and then you then you get to bring in a very interesting part of the game that I feel gets poo pooed a lot, and that's the bartering. Yeah, like like being I able love to sit, I love bartering in the game as well. I love being able to sit across from uh, you know Adam and saying, no, no, no. I don't want to pay that amount. I want. How about I? How about I trade you this, and I'll give you this. Well, you know, and then we, you give me that. You know, what we have instead, right? Persuasion, deception, performance, and sleight of hand. That has killed the bartering system. Yeah. Yep. Right. And that's it. So I think there has to be a point where you know, even the the bard walks up and says. Don't worry, guys, I've got this. And you're like, no, man, he's been a merchant for 40 years. Mm -hmm. You are not pulling a fast one. You rolled a 29. Congratulations. He's impressed with your pitch. 
and he shakes your hand and says, well done. Still, the price is at 100%. Yeah. yeah. Right? Some things just cannot happen. I don't care who you are. You can't just poof uh, and and teleport 90 feet up in the air and start flying on dragon wings just because you rolled high enough on a performance check. Yeah. Right? You need to be able to cut that shit off. Do that with the bartering, right? There mm-hmm. needs to the merchants have their own their own agency. They've got their own shit that they're working on, and you make the players respect that. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And I mean, let's be completely honest. If you're going into a store and you're dropping, you know, I find a lot of players are like, oh, I'm just going to sell all these old magic items that don't give me the mechanical bonus I want. I wished. Yep. Uh, and they just end up with this heap of money. You've done effectively three things. You have. Um, disvalued your magic items. Yep. You have ruined that town's economy because now instead of a pile of gold that they use to buy, I don't know, pitch for and and thatch for fixing roofs, they are uh, now having to use a plus two great axe. Yeah. Right. Do you know? What I think we're missing for. Sorry, oh, 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 what's the third thing? And the third thing is you have. Um, made the entire bartering process completely, utterly useless, and you've made every single merchant a bland, lifeless character. Because now they are just sitting there as a receptacle for your items and a uh, um, a vending machine of, of coins that, like we just talked about earlier, are practically meaningless after level four. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I dislike that system, and, and I, I really like having the whole... You're past a certain level. You don't need to roll for mundane items anymore. You just write them on your character sheet. You have them. This is what I think we're missing for mundane items um, as rewards. Um, There's not enough deeds for things. Mm -hmm. Properties. Take, you know, my my small keep to the person who can do this. Uh, My field of horses or my stables. My family heirlooms. Plate mail. The fighter level five will be interested in. Legitimate reward, right? Reward. Yeah, uh, uh, prizes for doing things as well. How many times do you walk into the liquor store and there's those little slips of paper? You can win a friggin' jet ski. You didn't even yeah. think about it until then. But when somebody dangles in front of you, like, God damn, I'll I want a jet ski. ski. Fuck I'll take yeah, a jet man. ski in November. Yeah. Fucking right, I will. Yeah. Um, I was watching. He was my favorite hockey player. But you know the old the Wayne old... jet ski. <laughs> He's so it's, it's Dwayne. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I ruined. Sorry. Um, no, it's Keith. But but I like the idea of the uh, uh, the Adventurers Guild notice board that doesn't have the gold piece like reward that has prizes that you can win. Shit, should we try and get that keep? Well, every other adventuring party that sees that notice board is also trying to get that keep. Look, is also trying to get whatever. Trade for labor. Yeah, right. That's that's another yeah. good one. If you've got like, how many people buy the donkey to get over to here and so on and so forth? You're like, oh, is there feed? Is there this? No, man. Just get a cart. I know you can't afford one. Just rent one. The driver will be there, and he's just like, oh, look, I am not going into combat. It's the first sign of trouble. I'm fucking off. I want five gold pieces up front, and I want half of your shit when we get to the other side. Yeah. Okay, and. I get to choose what it is. And they're going to be like, no, absolutely not. And someone else is like, well, okay, I'll only take 40% of your shit. Now you've got something going on. Yeah. It's a role-playing opportunity. That carriage driver's body will be left at the bottom of that cave. <laughs> and they will be taking 100% of the loot um, after he's helped them carry it out. I was recently watching an episode of Preacher, and there's this little fantastic little scene where... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Where uh, Preacher bets his church and all of the land it's built on based on, like, the one guy coming and, and deciding to follow uh, God. Um, 
And I mean, it's it's preacher. It's a, it's a. And then shit goes crazy. And then shit goes crazy. But you could do this kind of shit with your players too. You sit there and you're like, no, 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 make gambles, make bets with NPCs, with merchants, with whatever else, and be like, listen, I don't have the money for you for it now, but if I succeed in this or whatnot, I now own your store. Or or or. Okay, all right, hold on, hold, hold on. I love where you're going with this, and I want to take it a step further. Game of Thrones, okay? In the later seasons when Arya is running around in the city doing um, tasks for the faceless men and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And she keeps coming along and she's she's selling the oysters yeah. to, to the guy there. And do you guys remember what he was? What what the guy was? He was uh, kind of half loan shark, half insurance broker. Where what would happen is you give him a shit ton of money. And if you come back, you're betting that you will come back. And if you come back, he keeps the money. If you die, he pays that out on a percentage to your family to and and uh, and the people set aside in your in your will. So that this is life insurance that you are buying all of the time. Have someone sitting there saying, you know what, I will bet that you guys will not come back. Or if you do, you will have exactly 17 null pelts. Yeah. And if you don't, you owe him money. Yeah. I like that idea. Have someone betting on the upcoming adventure. When they know they're going out to do a thing yeah. and they're going to come back to this town, have the NPCs sitting there and say, I bet you can't. I bet you can. I bet you I bet you can do all this, but you can't be back in two days. And now they're going to start fucking around with exhaustion levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because they've got to get back. Yeah. Now money matters. Right? And you, you can make this interesting, especially if that money is gems. And those gems are spell components. Resource yep. management is going to become critical here. Yeah. No, 100%. You're not and taking the long rest in the closet in the castle. And you can flip that on its head and, and make the reward a... a um, An old man. No, no, no. no. Make, make the reward or something that they need. child? Yeah. There you go. Take him. Yeah. Who's this? Anakin. It, it is now your child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, you make the reward something they need. And, and I'm getting this funny enough. You brought up Anakin. I'm Star Wars. This is uh, uh, Ray talking with uh, Ancor Plot, who is the guy that Simon Pegg plays in Force Awakens. Um, she's trading old parts for food chits because she needs to eat, right? And like the way he does it is like, I'll give you a month's worth of food for that. Yeah, it's time period, it's, right? It's time period. Give that kind of stuff to your players, right? If, if you are part of, a, I don't know, like a guild-based system... And you're just trying to eat. You're just trying to put food on the table. You go to the guild uh, master and he's like, listen, I need that owl better taken care of. And if you get it, within a day you get a month's worth of food. If you get it in two days, it's now two weeks worth of food. Three days, it's a week worth of food. If you get it to me in four days, you only get two days worth of food for it. And I'm not even interested if it's longer than a week. Yeah, right? Do reward systems like that. Have a gradient scale to them. Um... All right, so here's something that I've done as far as um, bartering goes, Dan. Uh, speaking of, uh, in my Tuesday campaign, I've introduced an imp. His name is Camion. You guys can, uh, if you're listening to this, you can all thank Mieka because she created him as part of her backstory for her own campaign. I played with Camion. He's awesome. Yeah, Camion's a load of fun because he's just slimy as all shit. But he's always trying to make deals. And the deal is very simply, What uh, do you want this? All I need is one favor in the future, no questions asked. And that's it. One favor in the future, no questions asked. And they've, at this point, been like, oh, sure, I'll take that pipe with whatever it is that you're smoking, and I'll give you one favor in the future, no questions asked. To a devil. 
Another one was uh, the soul of, of the of the character's mother. Oh, I was there for that. Yep. Well, do you want this? Do, then one favor, no questions asked. He is just always sitting around the outskirts doing something kind of neat yeah. with, with a neat kind of item that's not really got a huge mechanical boon one way or the other, but that the players are like interested in and they kind of want it, and he's just trading for favors. Yeah. Re- rewards and favors and, and all those things have been taken as a sacred thing for D&D players for so many years. The thing you don't touch, right? Favors seem cheap because you don't give them anything in the moment. Exactly. It's like a credit card. Yeah. Oh, and my players are, I've also had to, oh, we'll just kill him. He's just an imp. We'll kill him before we have to pay him back. I heard that last night as well. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, you're not. There's no fucking way that you are going to be able to kill this character. He is smarter than every single one of you combined around the table because he's been doing this for millennial. It's he is so good at this shit. You cannot outsmart him. And that's just it. I mean, he pulled the wool over everybody's eyes in last night's session by appearing as a horned uh as a horn devil. Imps can't naturally do that, but these guys haven't figured that out yet. He's got more shit packing, right? Yeah, and, for sure. And of course he would because he's got millennia worth of doing deals and trades and little favors, right? And I just want that one to polymorph. Just once. I know there's only one charge on it and just like, sure, but you can you can have this. I just want that. And he's got so much little things. And that is the player that I want to play is the mundane player. He is a villager. He is level quarter. But he has shit. He has items. And that's it. My most powerful mage in my campaign is the Archmage and that's what he's known by. He's mundane and has no natural powers whatsoever. He is a arms broker. And he's just got one item that says you don't, you're not limited by number of attunement slots. And he's like, okay, thank you very well, much. That's why he's busted up. Yeah, absolutely. He's just pulling out wands. He's wearing nine capes. He's just fucking ready to go. Wizard! But he is a, he's, he's a thief. <laughs> right? I love that. Oh. Anyways, we're going to move to a commercial, and then we're going to talk about the next type of rewarding, uh, next type of reward for your players. Cup the balls. Not no, no. <laughs> because you're a juggler and you're entertaining them. With- uh, well, contact juggling, right? Hey, how would you kill a circus? Oh, you aim for the juggler. Hey guys, Dan here with Adam. Um, normally this is a commercial spot, but because year one of the It's a Mimic podcast has surpassed all of our expectations, because of you guys and uh, the interactions we've had with you guys, this community that's built up around this podcast, we really wanted to reach out to you guys and give you kind of a taste of what year two is going to be like. It's going to be even better. So normally we do lore episodes, and uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to start looking at the popular campaign settings that have been published already for 5th edition. Our world building series that we've had through year one is changing to be a breakdown of the races in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Yep, we're still going to do class breakdowns because we're not even halfway done the subclasses, so each class is going to get even more subclass breakdowns as we go. Some of them will even have three or four episodes because of how many they have. Oh yeah. We're going to be changing our coverage of the mob mentalities and changing it to a portfolios as we break down some of the big monsters in D&D. Yep, we're also going to take our Dungeon Mastery episodes and we're going to focus more on mechanics and the nitty gritties of the game and how to use them in session. We are also still going to be continuing with our really popular Dragon Mastery episodes, but instead of covering all the chromatics, now we're covering the metallics and more. 
We have more actual plays coming, including sequels to some of the stuff that we've already put out there. We've got more giveaways coming this year, more mailbags, and more random specials. But most importantly, the thing that Dan and I are the most excited about mm -hmm. is this second show that we are building. It's called The Campaign Builder, and it's Adam and I with our two completely different DM styles, kind of building inspiration for a campaign from session zero to the very end. We're going session by session, tier by tier, level by level, encounter by encounter, idea by idea, even if they suck. <laughs> yes, even the bad stuff will be in there so you can hear our foibles and how much that we are just as human as you. We also want your interactions. It's going to be a highly interactive uh, show and so it's going to be on the same channel. It's going to be an additional episode on the channel every week so you're going to get to hear our voices twice. We're not apologizing for that. You're welcome. But you know where to find us, okay? But your friends don't. We have our website, it's www.itsamimic.com. We're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and most of the podcast catchers. But the thing that we are lacking more than anything else is the word of mouth. It really helps us. We need reviews on iTunes and every podcast catcher out there. And, and we need social media tags. So I'm kind of selling my soul to please help us get the word out because this upcoming year is just gonna be more and more. It's bigger and better. And Dan is never gonna sleep again. No, no, I rarely sleep now as it is. Anyways, uh, guys, thank you again so much for the success of year one. We're really looking forward to year two, but we should really take the ball gag off of Terry because he's getting itchy and we need to record. Yes, that's more excitement than I'm comfortable with. We've talked about items, we've talked about magic items, we've talked about mundane items and actually using them as rewards for your players. Um, We've talked about bounties and using bartering in the economy in your favor. But let's be completely honest. The biggest form of reward that players are searching for from the get-go is their next level. They want to be rewarded that next level for their uh, for their work that they've put in. Well, that, look, that's how we measure the, the difficulty level of a campaign. Yeah. Right? Or the success of a campaign. What levels did you get from? Everyone wants to say one to twenty. Even three to twenty doesn't doesn't hold that same no prestige. Yeah. I've 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 played in two campaigns that you have run. Both of them started after level ten for level. Yep. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to experience an Adam run from level one campaign. I think even before you took over from me, we started at level five. Yeah, we started at five. I took over around level eight because everyone was leveling at different times. Mm -hmm. I caught everybody up together, and then we leveled up to twelve. No, I'm sorry. Two people were at 13. Everybody else is at 12. We ended that campaign on a cliffhanger and then went back to level 11 and we're skyrocketing through to level 20 now. And we're at level 18. Holy yeah. shit. You guys are at level 18? Yeah. 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 That's what happens when you find. When you get a level, every time you find one of the pieces of the Rod of Seven oh, Hearts. Will, will that hurry them up a little bit? You've noticed? Oh, them? holy shit. <laughs> when they know that they're only two days away from the next Rod piece, they will drop whatever they're doing. And run over there and grab. This them. is the beauty of talk about it like as though they're not going to do it. Yeah. yeah, should we go over there? Should we not? I'm already putting the map out on. The I table. can hear Megan right now doing the casual. Yeah. Well, it could be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go right now. <laughs> Listen, fam. <laughs> <laughs> oh my dear, sweet summer child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, love you, Megan. Good peoples. Um. Anyways, the. That's the beauty of milestone-focused leveling. But there's also experience. There's also, hey, once we get in four sessions, you guys will level regardless of what happens four sessions. So um, XP, milestones, session count, uh, 
if you guys have another idea, what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? Way of leveling, like the way of tracking. Way of leveling. And, sure. and, and very specifically, I mean, we're recording a podcast here. Why? Yeah. Oh, let's go. Cool. Let's roll the dice. I got 11. Adam got 5. Dad I got, got a three. 3. Oh, I'm going first. Same order as last time. Um, okay. Uh, my favorite is uh, Milestones because it puts it on the DM. But still, um, as long as that's agreed to everybody that that's how we're going to do it, you agree that in your session zero, it gives uh, a certain amount of um, urgency to players as well because they're, they're hurriedly trying to get through Milestones and they're engaged mm-hmm. in the campaign because they understand that that's where the leveling comes from. I'm a big fan of Milestones. How clearly do you define your Milestones? Because like I've, I've played both... Uh, you know, once we hit kind of a narrative beat, that's the milestone you have to hit, and we move on. It's kind of this I loose, ambiguous, or is it a every single time you attain a piece of this item, you gain a level? I probably wouldn't tell them. I like it both ways, because Adam does that. you just saying that about your rods. That's what you do, and it makes people go, okay, let's get the next rod piece. Let's get the next rod piece, because they know we're going to level. And then you know what I do is I say, right, yes, you guys can totally do that, but over here is... Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. So if I'm going to meta ahead of time, look and I'm going to tell them, take your wallet. That's yeah, kind of it. pretty much. I'm going to look. There's a dilemma coming. If I give you meta information, that is because I am preparing you for a dilemma. Yeah, but I I like the I love that because it gives you urgency, but I also like the surprise as well. So I may not tell my players, but I would make it obvious that they're figuring it out. Hey, we level up every time we get one of these pieces of this rod. Like, well, that that's why you get it both ways, right? Like. My Tuesday campaign gets to level every time they find a card from the deck of many things. That's it. Hard stop. However, they only know kind of where the cards are. They're not really sure when they're going to pop up. And the cards are moving. And other people are touching them and shit all the time. So at any point, I can just say, all right, here's the next one. And I also know what order the cards are coming in. And they don't. And so they're like, oh, fuck. They always find it. And it's always face down. Of course. Who's going to flip that card? And, of course, everyone at one point says, ah, fuck, I'll do it. And then it never goes well. <laughs> but but that idea of... I think that's the best of both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Like I tailored this campaign specifically for the idea of... I want to hover at level, at level 8 for 5 months. Just because I think that's a sweet spot for playing D&D. Mm-hmm. And these are new players. And I really want to sit here and role play before we start looking at the next Some mechanic. Some good abilities, but you're also kind of vulnerable. Yeah, and so yeah. I wanted to stay there. And they've commented, when's the next time? It's been a while since we found a card, right? And they're on and on and on like this. But there's no urgency behind it because they're having fun. Mm-hmm. The moment they stop having fun, well, here comes the next plot point. Here comes the next card. Here, And so I can kind of... Yeah, exactly. Right? And the moment they see it, they go, oh, shit, that's a level. Right, and it's not a what's the plan? Are we going after levels? It's reactionary. Fuck, get the level get before the it level. leaves. Right. Yeah. I so milestones my favorite, least favorite, XP, and I I know we were talking about this earlier, um, me and the both of you, um, but uh, XP I don't like it because it gears everything to tactical play. Gives yeah. everything down. Now we're all it's all numbers and pushing pushing minis now. All of a sudden, the uh, the more explorative um, classes or maybe the 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 support classes uh, are not getting as much XP uh, because they're or they're not playing the game for the reasons that they want to play. Because now it's just kill, kill, kill everything, and then that's how you make murder hobos. I've never heard a good argument for why XP should be used over other options. Not in fifth edition. I agree with you one hundred percent. Fifth edition is. Uh 
is fairly weak as far as XP goes. It doesn't make a fuck of a lot of sense either with the difficulty rating. Their CRs are a little bit off after about CR4. Too many variables. Yeah. yeah. Well, well and, and, the action economy made all of that very difficult to predict when they created the monster manual. I think by Mordenkainen's, they figured it out, right? And so XP and CR is a lot more accurate, but there's some monster manual entries that are a little questionable. I've never seen a Beholder run at CR 8. I don't ever. see how you could. Uh, you're going to wipe an 8-level party. Yeah. That's that's it. Like, I mean, maybe yeah, if they're the not thinking can... about layers or environment or... Oh, the average person picks it up for the first time. Sure, that's fine. But any experienced DM with a Beholder is going to fuck your world at level 12. Yeah, maybe if you're fighting one in an open field, like, yeah. you're going to kill... But Open bare field that's definitely not its lair, and four of its eye stalks have been cut off, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. the rogue is snuck up to it behind it. Like, yeah. yeah, this, like, sure, sure, fine, I'll give it to you circumstantially, but no, I, I'm with you. Like, the XP for 5th edition doesn't doesn't really... Stack. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm with you as well. And even in previous editions, like, everyone was tracking the... Ex- you get 37 and a half experience points for this. It's like, we need 4,000 points to level. Tracking that is just... It gets to be another resource you're trying the, to manage. I, 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 I get on it to the nearest 10. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta ask you, Dan, because you will know better than me. Does the Pathfinder version 2... That does... It actually do experience. It it does have an experience mechanic in there, but it is mainly milestone based. Uh, is a it? lot of the of the tabletop role playing world either is doing away with levels entirely, um, like Shadowruns like that. Shadowruns like that. Vampires like that. Uh, Mutes and Masterminds like that. There's there's a lot of just you put points when you oh, Call of get Cthulhu was points like that, there. Right? Yeah, Call of Cthulhu is the same. Yeah, I, um, I enjoyed it for that actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're either doing away with levels entirely. Or they're going to a milestone based system. Basing it off experience points is getting to be a thing of the past, really. Because it's just another resource that gamers who want to focus more on their narrative storytelling or even their tactical combat are not wanting to deal with. They're just wanting to get to the things that they want to deal with and not worry about, oh, we are... Uh, 200 points from level. Can you just give it to us, DM? Yeah. Because the amount of discussions I had when I was playing 3.5, you know, I'm about to hit level uh, 12. I need, uh, I don't remember what it was, like 120,000 experience points to hit level 12. And we're at 11,800. And now you're killing sheep in the middle of the night. Right. And, yeah. and okay, well, now I'm just going to go get this 200 experience. I'm just going to shank this, you know, tap. At, at that point, I'm like, how much to kill the wizard? <laughs> right or 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 the discussion always came up was hey we did a lot of heavy role playing can you just give us experience for that which how the experience system you mentioned earlier was very very designed for you kill monsters to get experience mm-hmm. thus this is a tactical fighting game but what about the there bar? was no sort of system in place for social encounters. Even or though for, the Bard has done an exceptional job in furthering you on your mission yep. with such great role play and doing their job. Yeah. My favorite thing is when they started to apply CRs in like Adventure Paths and uh, modules and whatnot. They started applying CRs to social encounters. How do you quantify that? Yeah. How do you quantify how 
much experience a party will get if they go through. They also used to do things like, here's a list of five questions they ask, and if they ask these five questions in this way, you respond in this way. And as a DM running Adventure Paths, players so very rarely ask those five questions. Yeah. So what do you tell them? It, and it, it leans so much on the player over the, the character at that point, because it's like, okay, myself and Adam are great examples. When we play D&D together, Thank you. we will we will often do these weird like role-playing encounters where everybody just kind of watches us, well... As we make out. <laughs> yeah, like my my favorite is. thing is when Adam goes, you get this item, and then mimes like some sort of item and then hands it across the table and, and then you take that item and then you inspect it it's empty air you guys are just really to do that to uh, somebody last night in the Tuesday night group oh and they didn't know what the hell to do with that yeah. <laughs> to Gordon I think I think it was yeah. up to the Minotaur and just didn't respond I was like waving my hand take it please take it from me yeah uh, but, but, but have you noticed that I'm starting to do that now too with like because Camion the Imp yeah. is tiny size, so they like hand him a jar, and he's holding, yeah, hugging yeah. this massive he's barrel, so funny. and then he hands it over to other people, and the other people on the table are now holding a barrel, and then it's a jar this big, all in one hand. It's like, right, right, right. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, we do that, and so I may be rewarded with a lot of experience for doing that with you, but that's just because that's what I lean into as a person. You try yeah. and get me to do a lot of numbers or something, I'll, I'll not be impressed. But I mean, Caitlin last night was going to, um, she wanted to give a big heroic speech. But that's not something that she feels comfortable just doing, just like riffing. So what does that mean? She wouldn't get a lot of experience for that just because she says, oh, my character would give an inspiring speech. Yeah, so I let I let her do a persuasion role or, mm-hmm. or a performance or a deception, depending on which direction she wants to go in. That way she can lean into her role-playing side of things. And then she also gets to say, and then I say, and what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. And she rolls to see What's the message, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So, to, and it's got to be the same thing with experience as well, right? Like, you cannot penalize people. For this, But, I mean, exploring, are you getting experience points, like one-tenth for clearing one room at a time? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you getting six experience points per puzzle? Like, what... How are you? And how then, are you supposed to, to respect the other pillars of play? And the other flip side of that is, how do you determine the difficulty of like quantify to a CR the difficulty of a puzzle? Because let's be completely honest, some people are whizzes at word puzzles, but are terrible the second numbers are in play. Yep, and that could be a dead simple number puzzle, but they will stumble on it. And this this happened with us. You gave me and another player. A dead, simple number puzzle. And both of us are just sitting there like, I have no idea. But you gave a lot of word puzzles to the other group. And we're sitting there like, I could answer that for you, but I'm not there, so I can't. I know the answer, but it's not going to work because I love word puzzles. Right. And then I saw that and I took my 15 math puzzles, right, for you guys and logic-based and number-based. And I went, all right, fuck it. We're down to three because these will be considered harder. And the way that I determined that was time spent. Yeah. Right? If it takes someone a shit ton of time to figure it out, this was obviously difficult. If they're like, oh, hey, I've got that. No problem. I've got another 25 things prepped. But, I mean, that's me. I've got, like... And if you don't have time to do puzzles and and whatnot, here's my quick answer. Go out and buy um, three-dimensional, like, brain teaser puzzles. Remove the cube from the wooden box type stuff. Yeah. That, that shit is super cheap at any game store. And I don't mean, like, D&D store. I mean, like, board game place, right? Yeah. You go and find that stuff. And it's usually ranked by age. And the moment you hit, like... 19 plus. Those people are fucked. They're never going to figure it out. So, <laughs> Man, I struggle with like the 8 plus ones sometimes. So, but, but you do that or you grab riddles. And I often use 
actual riddles that I find online and then I tweak it a little bit for D&D um, to give it kind of a medieval feel like yeah. it would naturally be in the world. And that is how you decipher ancient texts and stuff, right? Because I'm not going to give you a legit cipher to go through. I could. You're never going to get that shit. What is the reward for you to spend nine and a half weeks going, I figured it out. And the answer was go left. <laughs> and you're not even in that dungeon anymore. I would contend that giving your players an extended like cipher that they have to figure out um, that eventually, I don't know, reveals the name of your end villain. Yeah, I did do that. I did do that. That's right. You did exactly that. Yes, I did. Right? So I think there is a certain benefit to it, but it can't be a piece of information they need to know now. You give them the puzzle. Oh, yeah. You slowly give them you slowly give them the cipher, and then you just sit back and wait. And if they never Then who gives a shit? They're gonna meet the guy anyway. Who gives a shit? They're gonna meet the guy anyway. But if they figure it out, it's that much bigger of a moment. And, and so you had a nerd sit down at your table and be like, wait, you've read a, you've written a Bible? I'll read that. And then reading through it, I'm like, oh, this person's got seven fingers on her hand. That must mean she's the bad guy because we're seeing the sign. And I sit down at a table. The nerd was me. I sit down at a table full of people who have been in this game for two years. And I'm like, oh, yeah, chick is the seven-fingered hand. You guys uh, always pronounce it wrong. It's chick. There's no, there's no vowel. C-H apostrophe K, who is the goddess of death in Adam's world, um, is this, you know, seven-fingered hand god written about in the Bible. And everyone at the table went, oh. And Adam is going, I wrote this years ago and no one read it. Yeah. And then Dan did. And now, in, like, in integral plot points were now connecting with it, each other. I know. Oh, I know. So, okay. Integral? Integral. Thank okay. you, Dan. Yeah. I've, to be fair, you're not the only person that says integral. You I've heard that should before. record an audiobook of Adam's Bible, and then people will listen to it. Oh, shit. You know what? That's a great idea. Let's do that. Uh, yeah, I could do that. I, I will do that. Like, And I'm going to sit over your shoulder and go, no, Dan, slower, slower and soft, deeper voice. <laughs> There's gonna, oh, and fuck. the bit that you guys... It'll be the Call of Cthulhu thing all over you guys again. inevitably miss editing will be chick, chick, chick. Listen, chick, chick, yeah, chick, chick. Well, there's other ones chick. like, well, the other names are fairly Olawam and uh, Bim and Fruin and, uh, yeah. I tried to grab old. So anyway, look, we're way off topic. So, <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? So no, all right. So uh, we're, experience points. So you asked us to rank them. Terry went and we got off topic. Yeah. So here's mine. Okay. First and foremost, I like experience points. I really do. I don't think they fit in fifth edition. No. I think they were great. They were the only way to do it in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. I think they were the preferred method in three point five. I think that fourth fell apart and. That's when experience died. Experience points didn't make much sense in 4th edition. And then 5th edition, uh, we should just throw them out the window. I don't like them at all. Um, in 5th edition. In 5th edition. Yeah. Um, I've never seen session count work. No. Anytime that you're like, hey, you level every four levels, that campaign will die. Every four. Because you've got to keep adjusting your pacing all the time. It takes, it, it takes the control of leveling away from the DM when it's session counting. Yeah, because your players are going to get distracted by going to play with the fucking... With, they're all sitting there grabbing each other's ace, Samaras. And and like, yeah, exactly. And, but you've got to stop at 10 p.m. because someone's getting up for work at 5 or something like yeah. that. So you can't... Okay, well, that's another session count. I guess we level. We level now. That makes no sense. You know. Yeah, yeah, the only time that I would ever do that is say, all right, look, we're going to go from... We've been playing this campaign for three years. So-and-so is moving in six months. 
We have this many sessions left. We're probably going to miss a handful in the middle. The, so we're just going to ramp through this real quick. That's the only time I see session count mattering or making sense. I would do it. So that leaves me with milestones. But I'm starting to get a little bored with milestones, and I have a new thing. Go. All right. A new form of leveling. Real quick, before you do, just to go through mine. Yep. Because I went off the three. I hate session count. I've never seen it work. I've you seen said it. favorite and worst. That's why I only said two as well. Well, therefore, so. your middle is session count. Your right? middle is session count, yeah. then. Um, and here's why. And here's why. So, <laughs> no, so, I've never seen session count work. I've seen it attempted many, 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 many times. And I think if you're running out of modules, it's going to be the one you try to go with the most. Because every single module has a, you should be leveled this by this to part in the module. So, you know, you know that that's roughly going to be two sessions. Go, right? So every two sessions. But again, that's milestone, ultimately. That was my main contention. That is my main contention with session count is it basically is just milestone. It's what milestone it's, is. It's a meta milestone. Yeah, right? right? It, it It is what milestone is what session count wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I love milestone. I, I love the milestone way, especially if there is a, a clearly defined this is what you have to obtain to get it. And then you throw in a bunch of other distractions as a DM and just watch your party willfully choose to be stuck at level 11 for four months. They could go over there and get that thing. They could go over there and kill that one guy. But because they're in their own little world over here, that's fine. Eventually, they're going to all start to realize that they're level 11. They need to go over there. And they will. So I prefer my, uh, that. And even though I have a tattoo that says what doesn't kill me gives me XP, I can't stand experience anymore. Fifth Ed ruined that for you, hey? Fifth Ed ruined that, to me, ruined that for me. I, I used to love it in thir- uh, third edition, but like I said when uh, when Terry was going through his thing, um, the arduous process of maintaining and administrating experience was a pain in the ass. And figuring out, you know, how many... Experience points does the party of four get for a CR5 encounter, but there's also this CR2, so now I have to bend those guys. And doing that math pissed me off. I would rather just be like, okay, you got the thing, you're leveled. Okay, all right, look, I'm with you. I don't think the math is that hard, but that's just me. I think that the issue that you run into is when Terry misses a session. Mm -hmm. Does he get the experience points to stay up with everybody else or not? And I have seen... I've seen tables rage because someone else leveled with them after missing two sessions. And I'm like, it is a game. Role-playing game, motherfuckers. You guys sit down, shut up, and let's all play together. Also, you're on the same team. <laughs> fuck. Like, God, like, I'm, just, I'm already mad about experience, but, oh, fuck. Yeah. Anyways, okay. what was that fourth wave? Okay, uh, all right. You got? All right, so... I'm developing this. This is this is a work in progress. But hear me out. If anybody online wants to uh, wants to dig into this, let me know, and I'm totally willing to collaborate. But you take combat, exploration, and social. You look at the pillars, and you break down all of the things that a specific class should be able to do based on the classes that are sitting around the table. Then the subclasses, you can get into the nitty-gritties if you want, but based on generally the class. So rages for the barbarian, physical attacks, withstanding damage, right? But also maybe getting drunk. That's the If that's kind of the direction that player wants to, to go in, that's standard for barbarian, right? They drink their mead. Right? And, and when you have, you give them a list of achievements. And when you check off enough achievements, you level. 
and every list of achievements, whenever you level, you get a new list, and each one is progressively longer or more difficult to get. Or you do multiple stages of the thing, and that way yeah. you're just doing a lot of front-end um, prep where you're sitting, okay, you're, you as a barbarian have to kill 10 things to gain a level. Right. But then your intermediate step is you have to kill 50, and then your advanced step is you have to kill... 150 and then your extreme step is you have to kill 500 well it's it i I wouldn't even like you'd have to kill 100 per level in tier one right and so but once you've checked off all the boxes then you can move forward onto the next thing so your rogue is doing maybe a bunch of thieving or sneaking or whatever the bard is doing a whole lot of performing maybe not music but performing or party buff or supporting people and then you can include things in the role play like um actively try to sacrifice yourself for someone else's benefit doesn't mean they're going to die but you put your own neck out for someone else because that makes sense for you as this kind of character right decide to meditate through a combat as a monk right like these could be things that you decide to just hand out um and like if you want to if you Sit there and you go, you know what? I've actually checked off all this sneaky shit. I was a ranger, but I've done all this. I, you, you could take a level of rogue. Do you want a multi-class? This forces people to have a reason to become a warlock. Yeah. No, I love it. Right? Or to become a fighter or whatever it is. So achievement-based, I have not hammered this out yet. This is entirely in theory. You and I might have to sit down and really, really go... Like, go through with this, because I'm excited about this kind of idea. I love this. This pushes the roleplay even in combat. This pushes a level of tactic beyond what you're doing with your character. Yeah. My only my only concern is, it's meta. And I don't know if that's going to affect the table. Because you're going to have a situation where you're trying to achieve maybe some level of diplomacy with the big bad... But the but the barbarian has taunt the enemy as one yeah. of his achievements, and so you're like, "Hey, Dick, we're you know we're trying to get out of this alive." Yeah. Now I guess everyone has to be on the same page about like we're we're going to discover this story together based on how we do this shit, yeah. right? As opposed to like it becomes less about what the end goal of the story is, and it may even a railroaded campaign wouldn't necessarily be that that railroad. This is the end. Accomplish this thing. Because you're accomplishing shit all of the time. Every session that goes by, you're doing something, right? And you can focus on what one, two, three, six, whatever it is, things that you want to do. So I'm thinking some sort of achievement-based leveling system based on the classes. And now that I say that out loud, maybe even some subclasses, maybe... Well, what you do is you give them a general page of just general achievements that apply to everybody. And in those general achievements, you have, you know, sections that are flavored bard, barbarian, cleric, all the way down. Like, pray to a god. That is just for clerics. And, yeah, they might be gimmies for the cleric who has that achievement list. But that's going to be a little bit more difficult to say your atheistic... uh, Your rogue. Rogue, right? Um, So, I think you have, like, their general list. And then you have, uh, you know... Wizard combat, wizard environmental, wizard social, and you hand them the three pages and say, there you go. I wouldn't even go that far. I would just have a list of like, here here are eight things. Five of them are really common. Three of them are super uncommon and difficult to do, right? Let me know when you've checked them all off. And you level. And you level. And you get and, the next list. And, and when you check something off, you have to declare it so that you're not just like, oh, taunt to the enemy with me going, oh yeah, are you? 
to a merchant. No, 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 you're not checking that shit off. Yeah. Come on, yeah. common sense. So this is not completely hammered out yet, but that would be a really cool way of leveling in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, um, so we're going to move on to a shout out and then we'll uh, talk about the weirder rewards you could give your players. Handy's behind a dumpster. I mean, yeah, I guess, if you really wanted to. Or in front of the dumpster. Fuck, I don't judge. So, as you guys know, uh, I have been... um, You might not know. I am no longer doing carpentry work uh, in my day-to-day life. Um, I've moved on to a different industry, and I I love it. I absolutely do. But there's still something about doing some good old-fashioned woodworking that um, is near and dear to my heart. Um, And I've been looking at some inspiration, because I've been looking at maybe building tables, dice boxes, dice towers for you guys. And I have been... um, obsessing over Wormwood's Instagram page. So for the, the fudge is Wormwood for the people that don't know. So Wormwood is, uh, it's a fairly popular, uh, they got 90,000 subs. Okay. Daniel, on this podcast, you have to say subscribers because Terry's going to get all excited and then we're fucked. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, it's Instagram. They have followers. We've spoken about woodworking and handies. Terry's already half chubbed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. They've got 90,000 subs- followers. They're followers. So not subs at all. No. They got 90,000 followers on uh, Instagram. And it's they are wood crafters. They build dice boxes, uh, modular dice boxes that all click together with uh, magnets and, and these beautiful works of art. Um, it, dice towers. Uh, they're featured heavily on programs like Critical Role and Relics and Rarities and these kind of uh, live action things. They they have custom DM screens. I love they've got dice boxes in the shape in the like shape of coffins and stuff. Yeah, and they just have beautiful design work. On Absolutely them. beautiful work, beautiful etcher, etching work, beautiful um, just. just everything about it is wonderful, especially from a woodcrafter perspective, um, and. Above everything else, it's insanely practical for your D&D games. We've talked about how it gets kind of frustrating when people are rolling their dice across the table and it flies off the one end or behind them or whatnot because they can't seem to hit the broadside of a barn with their dice or they've got too much power behind it because they're raging at this roll. I feel personally attacked. That's because you are. This This, this is directly targeted towards you. So, a good high-rimmed, because some people really give it. (laughs) Thick-rimmed. Dice box, man. Like, these things are beautiful. So, um, Wormwood has always been my uh, source of inspiration for these products. So, for those of you that don't know, Wormwood is actually Wormwood Gaming. Yeah. And, and it's, it's W-Y-R-M-W-O-O-D Gaming, one word on Instagram. Um, and also, uh, wormwoodgaming.com is where they uh, is their website, yeah. which is what most people do their ordering and stuff through. Yeah, so, so uh, go check them out if you haven't heard of them already. Uh, get some of their stuff and really just support them. They're like the upper echelon of, of D&D crafting uh, people that are yeah. out there that are third party. And they're <laughs> fantastic. They're just amazing. So. And I would recommend if you are a woodworker, hobbyist of like a hobbyist woodworker yourself, Try to recreate some of their stuff and and send it to us. Uh, not send the versions, but like send pictures of it. Show us your work. Like the thing I love more in this community than anything else is people going out there, stepping out on that edge and 
trying something and creating and sharing it right so create it share it tag us in it show it to us we'd love to see it cool all right okay that was good it lined up with loot too you know what hell it's almost christmas buy shit for all your players from woodworm uh wormwood gaming i botched that so we've talked about Giving them, uh, giving your players rewards in the forms of money, magic items, bounties. Um, we've talked about giving them the experience or the, uh, helping them get that one thing they've always wanted as a level and growing in power as a character and our preferred ways of doing it. But we haven't really talked about like the big things, the more ambiguous sources of uh, cod pieces, loot, or rewards. Like your, do you guys run with reputation? Do you run with like, do you grant your players titles? Is there a um, underused reward that's more role play centric that you guys really like to give your uh, players? Whether it be relationships, renown, fame, in, uh, infamy, whatever it is. So let's grab the dice. Let's roll. I want to know what kind of, um, what kind of more obscure reward are you giving your players? Like a role-playing setting. A role-playing setting, yeah. I got a three. 16. 18. I got an 18. Yay, I go first. What was the question? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Listen, Terry. So what? So You guys fucking ramble on for about 20 minutes. Terry's just sitting the there. End, I can't remember what the question was. Deciding whether or not to put his, the, his like bun of his hair on the back of his head or on the top knot. Or we're doing something in the front today, I Terry? I can try yeah. the front. Yeah, all right. I'll try you, the front. You do that. Fuck no, you're not listening anyway. So... <laughs> There's got to be a point where you got to tune out. There's too much. This- Look, I am 100% all about handing out titles. And it I don't mean military titles. I mean, this is the champion. This is the savior. This is the leader. This is what whatever it is. If you're part of a religious order, maybe get some religious titles. If you are involved in the... Uh, like in the city or the townships in, in the community in some way you're you're the head of the of the merchants guild or whatever give people titles because that's a sense of ownership and when they have a sense of ownership they will give a shit about the things that they own and even if that's just like hey I am I'm a lieutenant in the black guard if the black guard dies that's gonna bother them right mm-hmm. if there's no more black guard if it gets disbanded by the new king no no. Fuck, this was this is all. Look like a idea. hipster unicorn. <laughs> I was a hipster unicorn before. It was cool. So Yeah. Alright, carry on. I man. wish you were mythological. <laughs> Thanks, man. So So look, I, I I'm all about titles that I and I try to do that. I mean, Terry, you were Captain Titus Hawkridge. You Captain ended Titus up Hawkridge. You ended up being general. I did, yeah, I did end up becoming a general. And and the entire party was full of generals. And then when Dan showed up... <laughs> they were so like, you're not a general. <laughs> yeah, they, they all said, you're not a general. You're not invited to our meetings. And so then Dan had to become a ward, wasn't it? I was uh, Grand Warden. Grand Warden. Did right? we yeah. say that? Did I say yes. that? I don't remember. Uh, you and Jamie were both like, hard stop, no, you don't. You, didn't, you haven't earned it yet. You haven't earned this. No, you are not I, don't, that. I think I said that but, I don't but, trust you. Well, yeah, you didn't trust me. Jamie was like, fuck no, no, you don't. Wow. But uh, we, we eventually were like, oh, yeah, Dan is... 
He's important enough for these meetings, but we don't have a, a reason for him. So he became Grand Warden because he was in charge of the big library of light that was there. And, mm-hmm. and he, he kind of found other things and was a great warrior of, of renown yeah. as well in his But past, that character so. came into the party with a litany of titles as well. Like he came into the campaign with a litany right, of titles. But which one of the titles was the most important to you, the player? I don't, not to the character, but to the player. Oh, Grand Warden, 100%. Right, and so that's it. I'm rewarding the player, right? And so that's why I think titles are important. Even if it's uh, if it's something very simple and mundane, just going from par- like private to corporal, mm-hmm. That that's it, right? That gives a sense of accomplishment. And don't start people off a captain. because I try to avoid captain now. Because when the captain of the town guard steps onto the pirate ship, Captain, who, captain. Who is the outranking <laughs> captain at this point? Captain. Yeah. Right. And so, well, it depends on the organization. I would say. It's, well, it's who's call, who's calling the shots? Yeah. If if the captain of the town guard has hired the pirate ship, yeah. and then decides to break the rules on the ship, who has the most authority there? So I don't fuck around with captain anymore. It's Commodore. <laughs> there, there, there we go. <laughs> um, but. The other thing that I do is relationships. I absolutely love handing out relationships. And not every player takes a relationship. And a lot of the times, most of the time, I find that guys, hands down, in. I want this. This is good. We're going to at least play with it. This is going to be an ongoing thing that happens. Girls are like, is he cute? Yes. (laughs) And that's it. They tend not to go after it. Not the ones that I've played with anyway. Girls are bloodthirsty. (laughs) They are. They want to go for the kill every time. Girls are savage. Yep. And and guys, how many outlets exist for, like, we're talking the Western world here, right? We're talking Canada. How many outlets exist for girls to be savage and bloodthirsty and let that out? Not much. And even the ones that you're, oh, well, there's kickboxing and stuff. Right, but there's still rules. Right, boys are encouraged from a very young age. Just well, boys will be boys, and you need to have skin knees and grass stains to be a, right. So by the time that they're D and D and it's role play, and they're in their twenties and thirties and stuff, they're like, "I'm interested in role playing and exploring something else." And yeah, and girls are like, "Murder it, kill it, tear its throat out." Well, I, <laughs> I believe women to be like that anyway. From the studies. <laughs> They're savage. They've got that psychological warfare. That's what they do. Yeah, but it's a physical warfare in D&D. Yeah. So I find that a lot of guys really latch on to the relationships. And maybe it's the fact that a lot of girls um, don't want to fall back into that trope. Now, look, I'm entirely just guessing at this point. Yeah. So for those but of you I, yelling at the internet, calm down. No, I think it's the other way, though. I think it's the same for guys. Because here's what, here's what you hear all the time. And I'm not going to go too deep in this because we can go off on the rails and stuff. Oh, you know, men, no. men, you know, show more emotion, blah, blah, blah. Men don't show their feelings, men, whatever, men, whatever. And then when it happens, what happens? They're not confident. They're losing, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're showing weakness. They're showing whatever. And these things are very true. We can argue about it all night. It is very true. It is just a reality. So for, I think for us, for men, it's a time when it's like, yeah, fuck, fuck. Did she, oh my God, did she fucking pay me a compliment? Yeah. Oh, oh my God! Thank you. I get to be the little spoon. Oh my God. Jesus Christ! Yes, please. Is she going after me? <laughs> yeah. like, right. So it's a time to chill. But then for the other side, yeah, for for women that uh, that don't have that trope, they get to relax and be free, and that's why they all play roller derby and shit now. So <laughs> well, yeah, but again, even then, there's rules. Like this gives them the opportunity to objectify and leave, right? Like, and 
And I think, I mean, that's true of everybody, and everyone has different play styles, and I'm generalizing yeah, here, yeah. obviously, so disclaimers. Um, and and I'm talking about straight people in the Western world. Okay, so now that we have all that shit out of the <laughs> way. get all that shit out yeah, of the way. Right, so. What's going to happen? You're going to mouth off, no one's listening anyway. It's fine. <laughs> so, no, but, but my point is that there's a surprising role reversal, and if you end up with a new girl at the table... Do not hand out a relationship to them. Mm-hmm. That is nearly insulting. Yeah. But if I have a new guy at the table, I'm going to have the barmaid wink. We'll see where this goes. Because if they're receptive, they may want to explore that. Because exactly. you can't do that in Call of Duty. You can't do that in football. You can't do that in computer programming. <laughs> There's nothing out there for guys that lets you be like, you know what? I'm going to flirt a little bit in front of my friends. And it's okay because I know I'm not going to get rejected. And even if I am, it's by imaginary person that that guy made up. And so we're all going to have a good laugh about it. Instead of me putting my fucking heart on my sleeve out in a pub, getting shut down. Right? And then being embarrassed (laughs) about it and not doing it again for the next... But you're right. Because we were talking... I'm not not talking about from experience, guys. Shut up. Don't look at me! (laughs) We were were talking earlier about this because you said picking the right person. And you're right. There's a lot of guys that might go for that. But everybody's different. Even the three of us are very different in who we are. But you were talking about Kogu me my half orc wife and she was very full on at the start and i was not having it no i was like i'm not having this get off my dick she was she wasn't sat on it dan she was grabbing yeah okay i shouldn't have said that she had grabbed you by your manhood but i was like like, literally did i was like i'm not doing this no way am i doing this you don't get to do that that's what i was saying this imaginary person yeah and maybe it's just because it's me because i tell you what i fucking hate it's, I know I get a lot of shit, but it's when, you know, like, because uh, I work in the fitness industry, right? Okay, body's my billboard and all that sort of stuff. Is going into, I call it the snake pit. It's like the 9.15 a.m. mommy hour class. And it's like, they are like saying things about me, you know, something, because that's what they do. That It's like going into a bar full of like, drunk women. And they're like, yeah, oh, look at you. Oh, and yeah. I can just I picture Terry walking it. in for his like spin class or whatever to delete it. And all and all he hears is, mm-hmm. <sighs> it bothers me. <laughs> no, I tell look, you, look, man, I get it. Bothers it. Look, me. look I, when I was working as a clown at Fright Nights, um, I was like, we're totally off topic now, but as I was working as a, as a clown of Fright Nights and we would interact with people, we'd be scary, but we'd also be funny, but we were also performers and we were out and around. I got groped like nobody's business it's, it's, three, four it. times a night. Like I got a hand down the back of my pants, like bare ass grab full cheek. And I remember sitting there the first time going, Oh wow. And the second time, like, all right. Yeah. And then the third time, I'm not into it anymore. Yeah. Right. And so you gotta like, you gotta pick and choose your, your audience, especially around a table that you've done a session zero. Right. You know where this, what the boundaries are for relationships. Even if they say anything goes, whatever, because they're not thinking about it. Yeah. There comes a time to fade to black. Right. And sometimes I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about relationship where there are some people that just are not interested in having a wife in D and D. Right. I've just have a woman in every town kind of guys. (laughs) Right. Um, barbarians. And so also bards, rogues, rogues. Yeah. Fighters, I can see the fighters. Rangers. Sorcerers are probably going to do that. Yeah, sorcerers. Yeah, the high charisma. Druids have a sheep in every town. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Warlock's got a daddy everywhere they go, so. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, no, I- no, but the point is that I think that relationships can be a huge payoff. Um, but now let's let's twist a little bit and not romantic relationships. 
I like to reward NPCs. You know what? I I think, sorry, I just want to put put a cap on my point there, which was because I kind of went off on one a little bit, which is just know your audience. And it doesn't matter whether a a male, female, whatever. It's that generalization can't just be that. Yes, I know in the culture these days, it is protecting women. But also, some dudes are just not that into it. Okay, yeah. I don't like walking into a room and getting fucking uh, wolf whistled at and like shit being said to me because I don't like that attention. Like I like to control it, and it's just know your audience with D and D if you're doing that as well. Is what yeah. I'm saying. No, it's, it's I will straight up different. remove clothing for wolf whistles. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, Dan's a visual. He visualizes. I meant to say cat calling, not no. wolf whistles. No, it's I know. I know. I got the wrong animal. The one thing I would say, there are some things that you do have to tread lightly with. And if you're going to be uh, approaching romantic relationships at your D&D table um, as a reward for your players, make sure you're, and you said this perfectly, Terry, listen to them. Adam, you said this as well. Listen. Oh, Pay attention and... and I just need to be really clear about something. I am not rewarding you for killing a thing by tossing you women. Fuck that noise. No, you are doing a very good job at role-playing your interest in this person, and your reward is that they might be interested back. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm not just... Just throw Women! Dicks and chicks, as far as the eye can see. Who wants what? Here we go! I'm not making it rain with freaking hot people, right? That's not happening. Everyone gets an elf. That's not happening, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm not a dwarf. Uh, Dan... Dan. <laughs> but, no, I completely agree. Uh, you should be rewarding, uh, reward like rewards with like action. You should be definitely, if someone is really pursuing this role play encounter, um, this role play relationship, even if it's a friendship or it's romantic, um, or if it's business. Or like, if it's hey, business. You get 10% off because you... Yeah, reward them because they're doing a great job, right? And this this is kind of where I wanted to go with this question is is if someone is actually... that's They're sitting down at the table and the reason why they're engaged in all this is they want to have that romantic relationship that works out in this fantasy world. Y- yeah, provide that. If everyone at the table is comfortable for it, talk about it in your session zero. But you got to tread lightly. You got to know what you're doing. And you have to reward like reward with like action. Terry, I got a question for you. Dan Dan said in the last uh, Sunday session, he was uh, introducing, no, not the last one, one before. He was introducing a dwarf that his character had been sleeping with for months. Oh, God. And, uh, And she showed up and met a couple of his old friends from like a previous life. Like, oh, and who is this? And he said, oh, she's my lady friend. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. Yep. That's exactly the reaction that I wanted. There. There it is. That everyone out around the table went. They sucked teeth. It was so bad. Mm, we. Yeah. 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 And, and Dan legitimately said, "What? Yeah. What? Come on, Dan. Dan. Dan that's like was... introducing her as your <laughs> introducing your wife as your current wife. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> this, this is my first wife. This is my current wife. Yeah. <laughs> I am a person who, like, just a little bit of behind the curtain here. I never really dated. I never really... You were just uh, kind of claimed. She walked in and put a stake in you. Yeah, no, that's that's really what it is. She decided that she really liked me and wasn't going to let go, and that was that. You right? needed a Kogu. Yes, but, uh, like, I'm not experienced at dating in any way, shape, or form. So, like, when you guys are like, oh, if they're doing this, and you date them, I'm like, I've never done that. So I don't know how that's supposed to go. Right, but here, here's the thing, too, and... Uh, <laughs> Man, it's just dating tips. That's too sad. How to date? People. Yeah, look, you just no, have to. Married. You just have to 
be yourself and tell the truth the way that the, the way that you would have your own personal truth for your character. There's no right or wrong way to date someone and the DM has to be able to listen to what your version of it is. Because how many weird cultures do we have from tieflings and their weird outsider stuff to whatever the fuck is going on with lizard folk, right? All the way over to elves, Thanks. elf court Navi. I think it's more like Navi. Mm. They've got weird little tendrils that they twist together. <laughs> right? There are different there are different social um constructs that are built all the way around these different uh, civilizations you have to be able to, to say that there's going to be different ways that they're all courting out there there are also different players and that's going to be yeah. you have to cater to the right person the right way and that's why it can be rewarding if it pays off for them therefore it's a reward that i like to give yeah and, and those are just the on the surface variables as well you get people behind closed doors she might be a high elf in the streets but a dwarf in the sheets okay so you gotta you gotta look out for that okay because it's gonna it's gonna change there. yeah you're not you're not wrong. Um, the other way I really like to, and I'm, I'm just going to change gears here real quick. The, another way I really like to uh, reinforce players. You mentioned title. You mentioned uh, renowned with them. I really like dealing with the idea of fame and infamy. I like the idea of the party after having done some good in the world or bad in the world, whatever it is, getting to the next town and people know who they are by reputation. They know who they are by oh my goodness that's the guy wearing the black armor that we heard the story from the bard a week ago and uh, that's so, the red tiefling and oh my goodness that the part and insert party name here are in our town everyone locked their doors and but like i i really like that that way of rewarding it's 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 more of a side reward like Having people know who you are walking into town, it's not something you're even really going to look for, but it's really nice when you get it. Depends. On the table. Depends. If you're the rogue that never wants anyone to know your name because you're an edgelord and you want to hide in the corner of the shadow, and everyone walks in and be like, oh, hey, it's the master thief. That was, that was, well, that was my character, rogue. I wasn't so much of an edgelord like that, but was not interested in titles or names or having followers. I mean, like, the NPCs would come up and be like, "Oh, Mister Duke, we've got a, like a special thing for you." And you'd be like, "Fuck off!" Like, yeah. he just wasn't interested. He didn't want people to know him. Yeah. So, well, but but, but that's all part of the session zero. Yeah. You talk to them and you'd be like, "Hey, what are you looking for with this?" No, no, character? no. I yeah, yes, you're right. Session zero. But I also threw it at Terry anyway, and he, he he spurned it the first time and had fun doing it. Now, okay, we'll do this three or four more times and watch him. He's he's having fun saying, "Go away, fuck off!" Right? Yeah, and I so, was. So, therefore, the reward is another groupie shows up. You're like, no, no, no. No, no, no. This cat flies solo. Yeah. Right? And that's and that was you. And you wouldn't have had those moments if I wasn't paying attention. It's good. It was still fun. Yeah. yeah. So. <sighs> okay. We've talked about all that. I want to grab the dice one more time. I want to know. Do you guys got, like, three unusual rewards? Yes. Okay. Let's grab them. I have, I like, do. 12. But, yes. Got an eight. Adam got a fifteen. Terry got a five. Okay, so I'm so I'm I'm going first. Do, am I doing all three at once, or are we going around the table three times? Uh, do all three. Okay, all three at once. First and foremost, um, if you have anyone that picks a noble background or even a militaristic background, find out what their coat of arms is, because now you can reward things. Oh, my coat of arms is a, is just an oak tree. Great. Well, I'm just going to start injecting oak trees. Uh, in or oak trees that have been cut down 
or oak trees that have that are there's one ancient oak tree in the middle of the town square and the town square sees your emblem on your shield or they see your banner flying and they will reward you get discounts because and so so grab on like like uh Titus Hawkridge your your mm-hmm. character Terry his everything he did was hawks 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 so how much hawk related shit did I end up giving you over yeah there, right loved and, it and I would give you something that had a mechanical benefit that you would leave behind because thematically I want that one instead. Right? Yeah. So, so my first thing is find out what their thing is, right? Mm-hmm. My second one is uh, we don't reward enough with tattoos. That's true. And I like the idea of magical tattoos. Yeah, me too. So, I, and I'm not even going to explain that. I would like people to just kind of get their own inspiration because I've got my own version of what a magical tattoo is, but I want everyone to like, think about what that actually means. What is a magical tattoo? What does that do for you? Okay. Uh, and my last one is um, now depending on the character is going to work for some, some subclasses, some classes, some races, um, even maybe some backgrounds uh, to a degree, but it's not going to work for everybody is Rewarding with the next stage of evolution. Give the dragonborn a tail and wings. Give the dragon ancestry a, a breath weapon early, right? Give the UNT the ability to shed their skin, right? Give the more animalistic side of things to people. Um, why doesn't a level 15 dwarf with a background in like who is a miner, why do they not have a burrow speed? Even if it's five foot. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is doing one foot, right? Like, give that to them. I like the idea of leaning into the the racial benefits that you're going to get. Uh, and I think most people kind of run past that. The tiefling, as they get more powerful, or maybe as they do evil things, or maybe as they um, cast hellish rebuke naturally, whatever it is, their horns should get bigger. And bigger and thicker and start to spiral maybe and like kind of Hellboy level stuff. Yeah. Right. Why are we not leaning into this fantastic side of of these creatures and these characters? Right. Um, think about like if you were gonna play, um, I don't know, like uh, even even a goblin, right? If you're a goblin character, I'd give you the ability to see in the dark. Mm-hmm. They already have dark vision, but give them actual see in the dark, not grayscale. Why not? They've spent so much time down here in the dark that they are, that it starts, their eyesight gets better as they go. Why do, but, and, and conversely, the other side, sunlight sensitivity, drought should not just have disadvantage. They should start taking fire damage if they're in the sun too long. Mm-hmm. A drought walking through the desert should start taking exhaustion levels way before everybody else does, right? So I want to lean into that, but. I'm talking about punishing now, but really lean into the reward side mm-hmm. of things as well. Um, and I like it, again, there's only some times that you can do it. You can't really do anything for a human. You become slightly more li- liable to charge it on your credit card. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Congratulations, you're driving a Prius. No, no, I'm sorry, that's a white guy. <laughs> so, you mention your legacy one more time because you know you'll die before the rest of the races. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, but I think that a gnome that is that has leaned into the tinkering side of things early should be able to legitimately craft later on. Once you figure out the crafting rules, because it's kind of bullshit in fifth ed, but you should homebrew it and figure out what that means and and 
that's the level of reward that I would give is these passive things yep. that will make your character feel bigger and better than the other versions of them. Like the level one version of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So cool. uh, for me, I, uh, I've always been a fan of my additional creatures around me. Um, my, my pets, my familiars, my mounts. And I, I, as a DM, I lo- would love to reward my players that way. Give them a pet. Give them some sort of useful animal or or even lower intelligence creature that just loves them and follows them around. I've had everything from an awakened shrub to a bullet mount that uh, my character uh, rode during an Underdark campaign that I played once. So um, these are the, just the type of things that you could reward your players with. That can be so dangerous, though, because your action economy gets out of control. Every round in combat takes forever. Yeah, you work your way around it. I mean, it, it's 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 not that big of a deal. Like, most things are going to hide, and most things are going to be repelled by combat and loud noise, and then you have to go get them back. Right, if they're more natural animal, if they're more magical animal, I understand the, that there's going to be an issue. They might stand and fight, but have them if they've domesticated a bullet. That bullet is going. It to... It has a threshold. It's going to fuck off eventually. Right? Exactly. Right. Like it's still a creature that is smart enough to know the preservation of its own well-being is above everything else. One so. of the interesting things that I ran across very recently was the idea of there are too many pets and parties. So how do you deal with this so it doesn't bog down gameplay? Uh, and I'm just going to throw this uh, yeah, sure. r- real quick. Pre-roll all of your attacks. All of them. Roll a d20 and a d6 or d8, whatever it is. Uh, add your modifiers as you see fit. And then write that down. Two numbers, one beside the other. And just write two columns all the way down. Do it 50 times. Hand it to the, to the DM and say, these are the next 50 attacks. The DM holds it behind the screen. And then you, and then they say, "Oh, and then your your pet wolf comes in and attacks and jumps and bites and misses, right?" And you, it's almost like the creature itself is not an extension of you; it's a legit pet, and we're not worried about how. What are the stats on a snake again? Yeah, right. Because the DM has that on the inside of their of their screen. Yeah, and they're running. And when they run out of the fifty attacks, then it's on to the next thing. And if it, instead of rolling a stealth, you just grab that d twenty. Roll, you ignore the damage dice, and then you cross that one off and you see whether or not it, it succeeded, right? Yeah. So I think that the, makes Yeah. Sense. I mean, I I also would be very uh, aware of what party member I'm giving this reward to. If it's someone who has a lot of trouble figuring out what their uh, greatsword-wielding fighter is going to do this turn, if they're that person that has a lot of trouble figuring that out, I'm probably not going to give them another stat block to deal with because they're having enough trouble figuring out their ways to swing a sword. Um but if it's if it's like backhand, huh? Backhand, I swing it backhand. Yeah. Okay. Your second attack. <laughs> yeah. I swing it forehand. Ha ha ha. Same roll. God. Anyways, uh, I would definitely give it to uh, the player who is really quick with their turns. They they know what they're doing, so they could be like, okay, on my turn, I shoot my crossbow this many times. I move my pet across here, and we're done. Done. Right, so it it requires a little bit of freedom, and have kind of an agreement. If I give you pets and you want to use them in combat, don't take up table time. Know what you're doing before. Well, this is why I say right? you, you roll it, and you can even say uh, my pet's going to attack, 
And therefore, we use the stat there, run forward to do the thing. Exactly. Right? Like, you yeah. still have the agency over the pet, but it's going to be... The next thing I like to do is give unique boons, uh, usually deific in nature, or uh, even like that lower tier, that... that uh, lower godlike power stuff, so like your higher angels or, or your higher demons and whatnot, or uh, arch fey, that kind of level. These are the things that could give these boons, and these are either static bonuses or once a day at dawn, this ability recharges kind of things that your characters just get straight out the uh, straight off the board, right? And it could be weird things that mimic spell-like effects, like uh, you charm an arch fey, and now once per day you can entangle. Right, you just cast the spell and tangle once per day because you have done this Archfey a favor and he's gifted you this boon. Um, I love doing these kind of things, but they could get out of control pretty dang quick. So I would recommend if you're a DM and you're rewarding your players this way, you do it sparingly, um, and you do it intelligently. You, mimicking spell-like abilities is a good way of doing it, in my opinion. As long as they match theme and tone of whatever it is, right? Yeah, there has to be some parallel there, definitely. Yeah. Um, lastly, uh, the 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 thing that I, I love to give my players over and over again, and we've talked about it briefly, intelligent weapons that uh, gain abilities as they level up and scale with the party. Um, I love to throw those out there. Uh not to everybody, because otherwise everyone's got a magical weapon, uh, intelligent weapon. Do, do, do. Everyone's got their own little friend that they hold in a scabbard at the hip. Um, I don't like doing that, but your fighters, very specifically your fighters who don't have a lot of magic going on in later levels, giving them that item that lets them either mimic spell-like abilities or is just a very powerful uh, weapon that has some personality to it. I love it. Or armor. That's a good way to do it, too. So, those are my... Three. What you got, Terry? Love hold, it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I have I have a new intelligent weapon I'm gonna make. Throwing daggers with abandonment issues. <laughs> don't please don't throw me. <laughs> I always thought about like a, a banshee blade that screams when you swing it. Like ridiculously powerful. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's just terrifying. Charge. It's just scared. Yeah. Uh oh man, it's always hard going last on these ones, but um one of the rewards. I'd like to give out much more is that is that status, not necessarily titles, but status. Um, whether that be like unlocking um, when you go and see the merchant, he's now willing to take you into the back and show you the items that are exceptionally rare, or he's just had a shipment come in, or you're you're invited to certain auctions that you previously wouldn't have been invited to. You're introduced to people that you previously would not have been introduced to. Um, so an increase in status where you can still say somewhat still stay somewhat um, uh, hidden if you want to. Um, so status for me. And uh, and I agree with Dan in um, unlocking powers with your items as you go forwards. I think they don't necessarily have to be intelligent either. They just, as you level, all, they level too. I think as your ability, as your ability increases, you're able to unlock more yep. from this item. Very God of War style of items. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of using uh, checks as well, wisdom checks, con checks, whatever. Whatever applies to the item uh, to get to the next step, to unlock it further. Um, or if maybe you could get, you can access it in some cases, but it's much more dangerous if you do. There may be, uh, there may be something bad that happens if you do. Those are the two that I have that won't just be repeating what you guys just said over the last six. So. There is, there is one more I want to throw out there that I, I, I really do love. Followers. 
almost worshippers. They could be leaders of a cult or very mundane and they're not going to go into combat for you. But having people that just love the ground you walk on. Like as 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 a player who is um, now in charge potentially of an organization of people, like a business, and there's a crew of people under un, under him. I I I I'm really intrigued at like sending my minions out to the corners of the world to do little tasks for me and being a bit of a mastermind. Now this is clearly something you hold for later levels, but it, it's definitely something I would. Tease around and try out. I, I like the idea of that. You got to be careful, though. This, to me, to me, feels like midweek content, right? Because you're going to bog down a table with, okay, and minion number seven was sent over to the kingdom over here to deliver a message. Did he come back? No? Okay. Minion number eight. Right? And so I like, send minion number 12 to find minion number seven. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, like, at, so at, at this point, at, at this point, you're just it's just another manager resource to manage and I'm not it's got to be it's got to be done properly it's yes, got to be does. done well. I, and and it's almost exclusively role play can I can I bring up the one kind of item that we didn't mention sure your random table item whether it's the quiver of chance that I've spoken about before and I posted yep. on our Instagram you can go check that out or the deck of many things or um there there have been other ones I've got uh, right now there's a uh, D100, so it's a percentile table. There are 100 options. And the bar- one of the barbarians in the Tuesday game uh, had walked into a garden that an herbalist had. There are... He was able to grab 23 just random bits and pieces of plants, and he has no idea what they do. And every once in a while, he either eats or breaks or rubs or smells or smokes or something... With one of these pieces, and then we find out what the magic effect is, and every one of them has a spell attached to it. And last night he blew himself up with a delayed blast fireball. <laughs> yep. Um, the session before that, he gave uh, Hill Giant uh, some leaves to chew on, and it permanently cast light on its tongue. So now, whenever it speaks, it's a flashlight. So it's just a bunch of crazy random shit that happens. He and he's used. Four of the 23 that he has. Nice. And he rolls every time that he does it. He says, all right, what, what, I reach in my pocket and I grab. And then he rolls a dice. I look at the table and I say, uh, it's a root. It's orange. What are you going to do with it? And then whatever he does with it. Oh, it's a carrot. So if you <laughs> yeah. eat the fireball, or you may throw it. Or, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So so there's there's different. There's That's like, hilarious. Yeah, he pricked his finger with a with a I thistle. I love those. Right, and then and then a beam of light came out of it, and he's like, "Oh, what's that?" And that's delayed blast fireball, and he just pointed it at his feet. <laughs> he blew up him and the other barbarian, <laughs> and everyone else went, "Nope." <laughs> they saw that little speck of light and the cleric and the sorcerer just backed up <laughs> oh uh you're taking a couple steps back 30 feet no no no, 40 feet <laughs> i i love that because it wasn't clear exactly some people could kind of figure it out i thought it was just going to be a, a, a permanent or semi-permanent like a laser pointer yeah that just he's over there <laughs> <laughs> just like the sniper lasers on the big bat like what the fuck is this nope 12 d6 fire damage bitches <laughs> 
That's fantastic. So that I think that really there's a lot of fun with with random table items. And Keeps so. you fresh as a DM. Keeps you on your toes as a DM as well. You're able. It teaches you to be flexible. What are you doing? Okay, you've just eaten delayed blast fireball. So here yeah. we go. Let's go. Bup, bup, bup. There is an item, and I cannot for the life of me think of what it's called. Um, and it's available on I want to say Reddit, and it is the barrel of a thousand wands. And it's anything from drastically change the climate in this area to every time you sneeze every 30 seconds and uh, feathers come out of your nose and like straight through to like mechanical boosts or damage or you end up on another plane of existence or whatever. And you just every wand has one charge and you carry this barrel around and you roll 2d10 and uh, and the, the percentile dice. And see what random shit you get this time. One of my favorite items in um, uh, Xanathar's is the Wand of Smiles, which once you use it three times becomes the Wand of Scowls. And if you use that three times, it becomes the Wand of Smiles again, and it just goes back and forth. And all it does is it forces that person to smile or forces that person to scowl. Doesn't change their mood or what they're saying or how they're saying it. But they're saying it through a smile if they fail to say. See, I love that. It's just wacky bullshit, but it's fun. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, th- uh, no what DMs. You should really be looking through that list of common magic items in Xanathar's, um, and figuring out really interesting ways to throw them at your party. Like they have one that just you speak a command word and your cape billows. That's all it does. So it just billows on the way. Cape billows. Is yeah, that, all right. it's a cape that you say it's the command word and it billows dramatically behind you. Billow. <laughs> right, I feel like most players are going to be a bard when they get, when they get that, and then say, "And this gives me advantage on my performance check." Oh hell no, no, no it doesn't. No, it's just it's, it's just, just awesome. Thing. Right? There's also like it's the staff of adornment. It it can hold three items floating around the top of the staff as long as they weigh less than three pounds. And you just sit there, say the command word, and then they just sit there and float. Then you walk, and then you have those three items moving around. One of them is going to be Dan's character. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's wrap this sucker up yeah well that'll be it for this week's episode on rewards you can find us on itunes spotify and youtube as well as dozens of other podcast apps you can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com thanks for listening to the it's a mimic podcast and make sure you check us out next week when we're covering sorcerers oh blood magic no, it's not blood magic. Well, it's magic in your blood. Yeah, but, but it's, it's not, not blood, blood magic. magic. Come on, Dan. It's a different thing. Blood magic is... Blood hunters? Yeah. You know that wasn't even in the Teldora campaign setting? Really? It's not in there. Come on, Mercer. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. Yeah, okay, all right. What streaming services do you guys have? <laughs> because honestly, I don't have any. I don't have the internet at my house. I do everything off of my phone. Right, I use my data plan all the time because I have unlimited data. Right, yeah. so um, I don't do anything. Who is watching Netflix? I am. Um, like what yeah. the fuck, Nef- guys? Okay, here's here's what. Do you? Do you this, not, I think this is I'm a little bit of an old have. man hat showing because like I I've got 
three streaming services I subscribe to. You also have three children. I assume it's one per. Netflix. No, they're mostly for me and my Netflix, wife. Netflix, I believe, and I've been wrong before, I believe it's temporary and is a dying thing because it can't last. Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right. We're just going to go back to everybody has their own streaming service. Each one has their own product. They all have advertisements on them, and you're going to be able to buy them in bundles. And congratulations, we just have fucking cable again. Yeah, and or, or what it's leaning towards is, well, Dan, you're a huge Critical Role fan. How many people are just watching Twitch or yeah. YouTube? That's where the content creators are TikTok. that we want to see. Yeah, exactly. Um, but for a while, yeah, I think stuff like Netflix like peaked because all the big actors um, were going in and doing those TV shows with like True Detective and, yeah. and, and House of Cards and stuff. It's only going to go so far because now everyone's like, well, all I watch is YouTube. I love all that stuff. But what streaming services do I have? Yeah. Okay, look. I don't... Look, I'm just going to say because it's on the internet. Pirate campaigns are a load of fun. Right. Good. Yes. Good. Pirate campaigns are a load of fun. Dan, but, and you have three. What are those? But I don't always play pirate campaigns. No. Some of my D&D games are not pirate campaigns. No. Sometimes you you play on the continent of Hulu. Or sometimes I'll just jump in on and use other people's characters for my oh. campaigns. D- look, that's, that's fantastic. But of those campaigns... You're a terrible human being. Netflix, Amazon, um, Disney, Crave... Which is like Canadian hula hoop. Yeah. And. Well, Crave has HBO as well, right? Yeah. And that's what makes it worth one it. One more. I forget. There's another Crave one. also has Letter Kenny. Yeah. Which is worth it. And Vikings. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, cool. All right. I, I've, I've got Netflix, uh, I've got Amazon uh, Prime. Um, uh, but I do really want to get Disney Plus, uh, Disney Plus, Disney Plus, because awesome dude, Star the Wars Mandalorian intrigues the hell out of me. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just don't have fucking time. You know what I'm going to do before I get a streaming service? I'm going to read books. Yeah. I uh, look, agree. everyone always talks about how great the streaming services are because there's all these great series that are out there. No one talks about the movies that are on it. You're on Bird Box once every three years, everyone talks about it, and they're all fucking shit. Bird Box was a goddamn piece of garbage. <gasps> It was Sandy B always brings it. Oh my god! Oh, I just can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> but <laughs> he's going full gopher. <laughs> but I watched the old Cinderella and the new Cinderella back to back. And do you are you more fulfilled because of it? Let me ask you a know. question, Terry. Look, look. Would you are were you more fulfilled by your double Cinderellas? That is a porn. That's the dream. Hey, <laughs> or or to... Flowers for Algernon. Flowers for Algernon was good. I didn't go through it, though, because Disney came. There it is. There it is. That's it. Hey, you didn't look, get through it because hey, it's too oh, I want to say something. I never actually really was into that much Cinderella when I was younger because I was watching the other ones. You know, I get, you guys know I was really into Jasmine and stuff like that. Watched Cinderella the other night. Boom. Did it for my new top princess now. Really? Oh, she she, she, she unseated Jasmine, eh? Mmm, little bit, little bit, little bit. I'm all about Cinderella. Anyway. Well then. <laughs> well that's that's a sentence that well then was said. It's permanently on the internet. Dan, what's your top princess? Come on, everyone's just got a go to. Ah, uh, I don't really have a top Disney princess because they're all like twelve and that bothers. Ah no 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 no. no. Just they're, they're not. They're just they're older. They're dr- they're drawn with hips. Like, You're yeah, fine. Yeah, they're fine. Jasmine is yeah. She's like 15 or something technically, but she's not. Uh, um, Rapunzel maybe I guess. It's the blondes, hey. Uh, well, the only redhead uh, Ariel. I'm I know what Ariel. 
I'm down with Ariel. W- wasn't there a redhead in Brave? Yeah. Um, Princess Merida. Is that a thing? Merida. All right. I'm Merida. taking your word for it, man. I don't know. Yeah. Freaking Merida. Who was, who was, who was a, a, a feisty Scottish lass. So, um... Was she just Irish? Did you, <laughs> I was like Punjabi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Merida. Really? Good. Goddamn. Yeah. Um... I don't know, Elsa, Elsa, Elsa. Oh, actually, El- have you seen that um, that uh, that young woman online who is like the she cosplays like as Elsa, but she like legit looks like her. Yep, like the big blue eyes and stuff. I couldn't believe it the first time I saw her. She's yeah. incredible. My only thing is, if I ever wanted to gaze longingly into ice blue eyes, I would just look at Adam. Heyo, blue eye club, boom. Dan, green eyes? Get this. No, no green no. eyes. You fucking no. wood elf. 